And I want to thank you guys for being here again as we finish up at the movies. The whole idea for this series, well, it kind of focuses around, first of all, one of our, like, kind of one of our loves in the United States of America, right? We, we love going to the movies. It's kind of funny, isn't it, actually, that, like, the summertime, which is the nicest weather of the year, they always talk about, like, spending the summer at the movies, right, and going and seeing all these different blockbusters that come out through the summer. But we just love going to the movies. There's something fun about it, that experience of going and, and being part of it, sitting in the dark, watching this movie. And these movies, they, they kind of, like, they touch us. It's like our modern-day uh, communication, that these stories, and they inspire us, or they challenge us, or they scare us, all these different things. But we love the movies. So the idea for this is that when we start walking out our, our faith, when we start kind of opening our eyes to the world around us in regards to faith, we don't just see it on Sunday mornings. We, we start to see it throughout the rest of our life. And things that we do in place, things we, we see, we begin to see these spiritual things inside of it. And that's what this series is all about, that even as we go and we might watch a movie, we begin to see little details in it that are like, wow, that reminds me a lot of, of this in regards to faith. And that's what it's all about. We start seeing these, these things hidden in there. Sometimes they're things the director intended. Other times, the director didn't intend it at all. They're things that we just noticed. He didn't even expect that that was going to be there, but that looks exactly like blank in our faith, whatever it might be. So when I was young, my mom forbade me from seeing horror movies. She said, Cameron, you are not going to see horror movies from a very early age, right away. You're not going to watch horror movies. And as I grew up, the same thing. Didn't matter how much older I got. She says, you're not watching horror movies. I don't want you to watch those. They're disgusting. They're not good for you. They're all this. And for a while, I kind of pushed back against her. But later, after kind of getting through my high school years, I realized she's a much more wise woman than I had expected. (laughs) I remember that we got out of high school and we were playing... Ghost in the Graveyard in Troy Grove. Anyone play Ghost in the Graveyard back in the day? Oh, man, that's like small-town fun right there, isn't it? You don't have anything to do. Let's go run around in the graveyard and chase each other. But I remember that we went to play, and our house is right next to the graveyard. So you go kind of through there, through the yard. And and all of my guy friends wouldn't leave the porch because they were so terrified of the dark. They're all like a bunch of little girls sitting on the porch, like little girls, like crying, like, did you see that? There was a shadow out there. I don't know if I... I'm like, dude, it's it's Troy Grove. There's no one here. The graveyard's empty. They're all dead. Don't worry, right? And I realized that I had so much less fear than those friends of mine because I had never flooded my brain with all these scary, fearful thoughts. Now, that being said, okay... I do enjoy what I would call a scary movie. Now, this is different. You're like, scary camera, same thing. Two different things. Let me identify for you. When I say scary, I mean like suspenseful movies, scary movies, not horror movies. See, horror movies take their, their leads from the idea of taking something that's kind of demented and twisted sick and showing you as much of it as possible, right? But a scary movie, what they do is step back from that, and they use tension to be able to supply a little bit of of scariness, where you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, right? They don't reveal everything. They don't show everything. It's more about that that tension between it, where it kind of puts just a little bit of of scaredness. I liken it to this. A scary movie, you watch it, you're tense in the movie theater, you walk out, and you're like, ah, cool. Horror movies, you go to see it, you go home, and you bar your doors, because you're like, my neighbor's coming to murder me tonight. I'm sure of it. (laughs) There's probably a monster in my backyard there's possibly one of my child's toys are going to come kill me in my sleep, right? 
There's a whole different vibe in regards to the two of them. But I kind of I, I do like um, the scary movies. Parts of it, part of the movie is kind of scary, and, and it puts this edge to it. Now, whether or not you guys have or do or do not watch horror movies, whatever it is, but whether it's kind of scary, but you like that idea of kind of being scared in movie theaters, who actually kind of likes scary movies? Like, you like when it gets a little bit scary, and you're like, yeah, like, I, you kind of enjoy it, right? There's something in us that does kind of just enjoy that feeling. Well, I remember when I was in high school, there was this filmmaker that came around, and his first films were big, man, big hits. And he was making these scary movies, but they almost felt like they came from a different, a different generation. People were saying they were comparing him back to people like Alfred Hitchcock, who had made these classic scary movies. And the guy's name was M. Night Shyamalan. Do you remember him? He made movies like Signs and some of these other ones where people were like, oh my goodness, The Sixth Sense, and they were scary, but they weren't these horror movies. They were just kind of these like, wow, they were tense and they were suspenseful. But one came out in 2004 that I loved. It was called The Village. Has anybody seen The Village? Hands up who's seen The Village. Okay, for the rest of you today, this is going to be a treat for you. You've never seen The Village. We'll kind of take you through it as we do. But this, this, this movie, The Village, it was really interesting. So the movie centers around... This, this small, you would never guess, village. <laughs> Did anybody else expect it was actually going to be about dinosaurs? The village. And it's about dinosaurs. But you think, no, it's about a village. This small village in this valley. And it's set in what would, what would seem to be, when we look at it, I'd say probably like the, the 19th century, somewhere in the late 1800s or something like that. It's kind of a step back in time. And in it, as we watch, it's not just this little village, but what's kind of remarkable about it is this village is completely shut off from all of the outside community. There's no people coming in. There's no people going out. It is just this self, uh, you know, what is that? Self-contained village, self-sustained, yes, village. The reason why is because on the outside of this valley are these deep woods, and inside these woods are these massive, scary creatures. The people of the town won't even say their name. They call them those that we don't speak of. Those that we don't speak of. And at the edge of these woods, they have these watchtowers and they have torches that burn. And the elders of the town say that there is a tree, like a treaty between us. There's a truce. We never go into their woods and they never come into our valley. But you can't break those rules. They actually have basically three big rules that they put in place. You can see them on the, uh, on the trailer for it and then also for like the poster for the movie. It says this. Here's the three rules. One, let the bad color not be seen. It attracts them. That's the color red. Two, never enter the woods. That is where they wait. Three, heed the warning bell for they are coming. And the entire town is set up around this premise that we live here inside of this town. Never, ever step into the woods. Now, we're going to step into this first scene, and in it, you're going to get to kind of introduce to the three main characters in it. We have Ivy, who is the main, like the lead elder of the town, his daughter, who is blind. We have Lucius, who is another boy in town, and uh, he is kind of like Ivy's love interest as she looks towards him. And then we have Noah, and Noah Percy, he's actually uh, partially mentally disabled as well, so if you see it, he's in there with it too. And we start with the three of them with, with... Lucia's kind of talking about Noah, and then we walk through. And before the clip ends, we're going to get to meet those who we don't speak of. All right, let's watch together. So 
So in this first scene, we get introduced to those that we do not speak of. But maybe even more interesting, we get introduced to this love between Lucius and Ivy. Did anybody else cringe? Was anyone else getting tight at that moment with her hand out into the, into the darkness? Anyone else tighter, 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 hands clenched? Okay, whew. okay, breath, right? <laughs> but we see, get to see this, this love that's between Ivy and Lucius. Um, if you watch throughout the entire film, you get to see, obviously, a, a few more key elements to this. But as Lucius is talking to his mom in that scene, he's talking to her about how he knows that Ivy's dad actually kind of has feelings for his own mom. And she says, how would you know this? And he says, it's because he never touches you. And that was referenced to it a few minutes earlier. Ivy had said to him, it's interesting how when we were kids, you used to hold my hand, but now you won't. And it's because he's embarrassed at his own feelings because he really does love Ivy, but he doesn't know how to be able to say it. So saying that to his mom reveals even more the fact of how much he really, really cares for Ivy. And we see, obviously, Ivy's love for Lucius, um, the amount of trust and the amount of hope in Lucius that she really did believe that there's no way that he would allow her to be left without him being there to guard over her and watch over her. That moment of her standing with her hand out in the air is the perfect picture of the fact that love, love is more powerful than fear. Love is more powerful than fear. And fear is a strong, strong force. But love is even more powerful. It reminded me of words that that the Apostle John said one time um, in one of the letters he wrote. This is what he said one time, kind of speaking of the idea of of love and, and fear. He says this in 1 John 4, 16 through 18. We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. You know, the main thing I want to talk to you about today in this message, in this message based off of a scary movie, is love. (laughs) You probably wouldn't have guessed that, right? I mean, a scary movie, what's it going to be? It's going to be about love. Not a romance movie, but that's what it's about. Love can mean a lot of different things, because the the problem with love is it's, it's just a word. It's just a word, but it's how we define that love that really, really makes a difference. We hear so many people use love in so many different means throughout our lives, but we're not interested in just love. We're interested in perfect love. We're interested in the the true root of love. This verse, it says, God is love. That means that the very source of perfection, the source of where something comes is where it's most pure. That's where it hasn't been derived. It hasn't been changed. So if God is love, if he's the very source of love, that means that the most perfect love is found inside of him. That if we want to see perfect love, that's where we want to go to learn about it. Not after it flows through many different streams and tributaries and into our our own hearts or into people's lives. We want to go back to the source to be able to understand that. God is love. But the problem is, Love is not God. See, that's what our world is trying to push right now, is the idea that love is God. Love is God. No, love is a word. See, the problem is, is people will say, love is God. It's just all about love. It's all about love. But we have to kind of step back from that because you say, well, but what do you mean by love? And they'll say, well, I think that love means, and you say, okay, well, stop right there. Then you're God. 
Because you're saying you get to define love. See, when we say God is love, what we're really doing is we're making ourselves God. Because we say we get to define love, and then we say that's the most important thing. God is love, and he's the source. So if we want to understand perfect love, if love is, is this powerful force, we need to go back to the source of that love, which is God. We're not just talking about romantic love. We're talking about a deep, caring, passionate love. Jesus said this once when he's talking to his disciples, kind of explaining love. He explains it this way in John 15, 13. He says, There's no greater love than to lay down one's, excuse me, lay down one's life for friends. See, that's a different kind of love. Not just a romantic, oh, I really am intrigued, or I believe this person is beautiful, or it's, it's you know, this, this love relationship is, oh, they satisfy my needs. But he's saying it's this, this deep concern where you're willing to, to put yourself on the line, to step in front of something. It's like that parent love that would immediately, without even thinking, you would step in front of a car and push your kid out of the way kind of love. It's, it's, it's subconscious deep down inside of you. You don't even think about this because this love is so rooted in you. And the reason why love is important is because love is the most powerful force in the universe. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Believe it or not, the Bible says this. In God's word, in 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking to people, explaining what this whole spiritual world looks like. You've probably heard this read at a wedding ceremony before, but it's not really about marriage. It's about this love, this true, deep, perfect love. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I remember reading this verse for the first time, and the first time I read it, I'll be completely honest with you, when I read Three Things Remain, Faith, Hope, and Love, as I started to read, and the greatest of these is, I naturally expected that that next word was going to be faith. I expected it to say faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is faith. Because, I mean, it's the Bible, right? It's, it's a book about our relationship with God. And I would figure the greatest is, it's got to be faith. It's got to be that, that connection between us and God. But he says, no, in fact, the most powerful force in the universe, the one that will outlast them all, the one that is greatest is love. Love is the greatest. Now, this is important for all of us. All of us wish to understand and know love, don't we? But we don't need to try to learn it from our culture backwards. Let's go back to the source, and let's start from here. That's where it's important to go to. So as we move forward in the story, man, Lucius and Ivy, they are in love. They decide that they really do after this. I think this was kind of that culminating moment where they realized that we love each other. They decide to get married. They, they basically announce we're going to be married. They announce their engagement. The townspeople are happy about that. But unfortunately, Noah who's grown up with Ivy his entire life, is extremely jealous. Noah always loved Ivy. And because of this, he corners Lucius in his house and he stabs him violently to the place where he's basically at death's door. They take Lucius, they put him in a, in a bed, they sew up all of his wounds, but the doctor of the town comes out and says, basically, the wounds are, are sealed up, but the knife was terribly dirty and he's extremely infected. And they said, it could be any minute that he could pass because of the infection. There's nothing that we can do. We have no means, basically. It's this tiny little town, right, removed from any other culture. We don't have anything to be able to heal Lucius. So Ivy's dad decides to take a huge risk, a massive, 
risk. And we start this next clip as he explains something to her and lays out this risk that he's willing to take. Let's watch together. Well, scene two kind of meets us with a surprise. Those who we do not speak of aren't actually real at all. It was revealed that the elders of this town, all of them, Ivy's dad and all the rest of them, had all lost somebody who they loved. Someone close to them had been taken from them forcefully. When they lived in the towns with everyone else, each of them had a family member murdered and taken from their life. And that they had all decided to exit the towns, find this place, and set up this community instead. But in order to be able to protect that innocence, in order to keep the outside world from reaching in and touching them again, they needed a system to keep everybody in this town right there together. So they draw up this elaborate, elaborate plan of creating these creatures in the woods that would stop people from ever wanting to wander into them, that they would use this fear to keep people centered in this place so that they could maintain the innocence of their community. It reveals the fact that Although they tried with all their systems and all their plans and all their laws, it didn't work. They tried as hard as they could to create a place where where none of this pain would be felt again, but still it shows up. One of the elders says this in this clip, heartache is a part of life, and we know that now. Earlier on, he makes a comment because he lost his son. He said, whether you run or not, sorrow will find you. Despite all their plans, despite all their laws, sorrow heartache, murder, basically, still found them. And it's interesting because Ivy's dad reveals the fact that now what they're turning to, now what they're going to put their hope in is love. I love his comment. The world moves for love. It kneels before it in awe. For all their hopes, their laws couldn't accomplish. Now they turn to a source of true power and say that now we have to just hope on love. Let me say this, love is able to accomplish things that laws can never touch. Love is able to accomplish things that laws can never, ever touch. Laws will will stop short and laws won't accomplish everything. They'll fall short of the, the intended goal we reach, but love, love has the power to be able to fulfill these deep callings. Here's my main point for you. Something I want you to remember today. Something I want you to take home with you. Remember this next week. Maybe for the rest of your life, it'd come rolling back around in your head. Where law fails, love prevails. Where law fails, love prevails. There are situations in which the laws won't be able to accomplish the desired result, but love is powerful enough to be able to. You know, I heard this... it brought to mind right away comments by Paul. Paul talking to all these churches he had planted about about our current state that we live in, our our situation with us and God in this this spiritual climate, talking to them about, about what they were all raised in. At the time, everybody who was being told about the gospel were people who had been raised in the Jewish culture. And in the Jewish culture, and what we know as a kind of our Old Testament beliefs, We know that our relationship with God was broken. Same beliefs, the idea that when we started, that we were created to walk with God in in perfection. But then that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, that they broke this covenant, that they stepped into sin. And what it did was it created a divide between humanity and God. And that every one of us, all of us born after that, almost like that sin was added to Adam and Eve's DNA, 
that all of us have it born into us. We don't have to be taught to sin. We just naturally fade that direction. That each one of us walk into sin and we find ourselves separated from God. Well, in the Old Testament, Moses was given Ten Commandments and he brought them down to people on how to live, on how to be more holy. And then Levitical laws were added to it, around 600 and some laws, all different laws about what you can and can't do. And the idea was to try to create a means by which you could line up your life and try to walk closer to God by not walking further away from him. But the problem was soon noticed. Nobody could keep the laws. No one could do it. Paul says this in Romans 8, 3-4. He says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Stop right there for a second. In another verse, he says, In fact, sometimes it almost felt like the, the law made it worse. He says, I, I, I just naturally had this tendency to want to do things that were wrong. But he says, then someone would tell me, You know, it's wrong to do this. And he says, then all of a sudden I'd want to do it. And I would go and I'd, I'd step into that. And he says, no matter how hard I tried, I, I couldn't accomplish these laws that were laid out for me. He says, it was obvious, wasn't it, as we walked through this, this wasn't going to actually fix our broken relationship with God. He continues, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. You see, that relationship that was broken, and this law that was lined up, if we could do all these things that we could get closer to God, he says it was obvious none of us could get back to God. None of us could fix that relationship. That the law fell short, that that law failed to be able to accomplish this. But he says, but then, but then Jesus showed up. And Jesus came, and he came to this earth, and he lived this perfect life. And basically, it was as if he had taken the test that had been put in our hands. of Here's all the laws you have to follow. Here's everything you need to do. And it's like Jesus took our test. He filled in all the answers with the right ones, and then wrote our name on top of it and turned it in. And he says, 100% for you. That he uh, successfully accomplished the law for each one of us. And it said that he lived this perfect life. And then when he died at the end of his life, he had never sinned. So there was no possible way for him to die. So when his life was demanded of him, he took all of our sin, which needed death, and he paid for it with his death. That he both took our sin away from our lives and then that he gave us his perfect righteousness, the completion of the law by taking that test for us. You see, the law had failed, but love, love prevailed. Romans 8, or excuse me, Romans 5, 8 through 9, Paul says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right with, made right, excuse me, in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We live in this reality that the law failed to be able to bring us back to God. But love Love prevailed. That Jesus came and he paid for all these things and it restored this relationship with God that we can have with him, that we're brought back into that place where we can have deep community with him and that when we die, we can enter into a relationship with him into eternal life. And where law fails, love prevails. Let's finish watching up the end of this movie together. Some of the last few clips of this movie, and then I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the message as well. So we step into this next, just some of the closing scenes of what's happening as the movie comes to a close.
anybody's mind explode? <clears throat> or maybe still kind of foggy. What's revealed at the end of this movie is not only were those that we do not speak of farce created by the elders, but in fact their entire culture was a lie. That the elders were all people living in modern times, would have been the 1970s, that each of them had lost friends and family, and they had decided to not only remove themselves from culture, but to step back in time hundreds of years to a place where they thought innocence resided. That they took and they lied and just built the, the entire culture hundreds of years behind. Covington Woods, this village, is a picture of religion. It's a picture of, of religion that we see in our, our modern days as well, too. You see, religion is about a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules, a bunch of constructs that are supposed to keep us hemmed in enough where it keeps us safe or it keeps us holy or it keeps us protected from this outside world. But the problem is laws fail. The problem is that religion falls short. Laws fail. Here's the reality. Religion is laws that lead to lies. But Jesus is love which leads to life. Religion is a bunch of laws, and what it leads to in the end is, is lies. A false sense of security. A false sense of believing that we're holy. But in all reality, it's just this smoke and mirrors. But Jesus is love which leads us to true life. In this movie, we have Lucius. And all the laws that were there didn't actually keep him. They couldn't fix the problem. Love was the only thing that could prevail. For you and me, each one of us today, we are Lucius in this story. Each one of us, every one of us have an infection deep down inside of us that we can't fix. Just as the, the Bible talks about this idea, Paul talked about it, and if we go back to the very beginning, that all of us were born with this natural tendency and bend towards sin, and all of us walk into it in our lives. And we have this infection of sin deep down inside of us that we can't fix, no matter how hard we might try. The problem is that for most churches, for most religions, they're going to try to tell you that it's about following a number of laws, that if you can do this and you don't do this and you accomplish this and you're able to stop doing this, then you'll be holy and your relationship with God will be back to what it needs to be. But it's lies. It's lies. Thousands of years ago, that was tried and it was understood. It never, ever worked. That people tried to follow these laws and it was impossible. We always fell short. We, will, we were never able to come close to it. And that's what religion does, is it makes this false Covington Woods feel of if we step back in time, most churches you walk into today, they're stuck in the 1960s or 70s. You walk in, everyone's still wearing those clothes. Those are the songs we sang. Apparently sin didn't exist in 1975, but it still did. If we can just step back and we, we don't do this and you do this and you stop wearing those clothes and you stop drinking that and you stop smoking that and you stop saying that and seeing that and acting like that, then God will love you and you'll be fine with him. But it's lies. It doesn't work. It doesn't restore the relationship we need. Law fails. But love, love prevails. You see, Jesus came and he fulfilled all of those laws for us. He came because of his great love for each one of us. Just as that love that I talked about at the beginning, that love where you would step in front of a, of, in front of a car and push your child out of the way, 
that Jesus did the exact same thing for us, that he loved us so much that he came and he pushed us out of the way and took our payment, that he was the one who died in our place because of his love for us. And the Bible makes clear, it's not about what you do from here on out. What it's about is you accepting that free gift that Jesus gave you. It's accepting that love. It's accepting that relationship that he wants with you, that he accomplished 100% of it. Notice, how much work did Lucius do to fixing himself? Zero. He laid in bed unable, and Ivy did 100%, went, got it, brought it back, and gave it to him. Jesus did 100% of the work in regards to our salvation as well. It is simply up to us to accept it to take it into ourselves and say, yes, I accept that gift that he gave to me. Love. Love prevails. I want to give you just an opportunity real quick. Would you close your eyes just for a second and bow your head? Just, just so it's just a moment alone. Let the person next to you just have their moment too so that we're not, you're not interrupting someone else who's next to you. Just let them kind of have their moment and you have yours right now. And no one's looking around. It's just, it's just each of you alone right now with God. There might be some of you today that you never realized that God loved you this much. You never realized that he cared so much that he was willing to come to die in your place to fix this relationship that was broken. You always kind of knew it was broken, didn't you? In the back of your head, you always kind of felt that gnawing that I'm not really a good enough person. I don't really have it figured out enough for God to really, really want to be close to me but you never really knew how that could be handled. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe it was even that you stepped into religion. You walked down that path maybe for a few years. Maybe it's been your entire lifetime that you thought, if I can do this, if I don't do that, if I stop saying that, if I, if I start acting like this, then surely maybe God would like me again. Maybe God would love me and he'd accept me. But you know, don't you? No matter how hard you've tried, you always fall short of those laws that you try to put into your life. You know that it didn't fix it. It didn't bring you closer. If today, if you say, listen, I don't have this all figured out. I don't understand everything about the Bible. I don't know what I believe about blank or about this or about this, but I need Jesus' love. I need to accept that love. I realize that, that my relationship with him is broken, and I want to accept that gift of love that he gave to me. I want to take that into my life. If that's for you right now, you know it's you. You can feel the Holy Spirit touching your heart right now. You can feel almost as if someone's pushing you forward and saying it's you. I'm going to count to three. When I do, I just want you to lift up your hand so I can see you, so I can pray for you. No one's going to be looking around. It's about you and God. When I count to three, you shoot your hand up. One, two, don't miss it, three. Go ahead, shoot him up. I see you. Anyone else? Yeah, I see you. Shoot him up. Keep him up for a second so I can see you. I see you. Back here, I see you. I see you. One, two, three, four, five. Anyone else today? Six. Yes, I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Now let's pray with these people. For you that are raising your hand and you want to take this step, I just want to pray with you. Just a quick prayer. It's not some sort of magical prayer, but it's just about us moving our heart in the right direction. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And for all of us that we've said this prayer before, let's join in with them and let's kind of echo what they're saying right with them, okay? Just say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Please become the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. You can open your eyes. Man, for you, five, six, seven people, man, God bless you. Amazing today. You took that step. I'm telling you, it's going to be the best step that you're ever going to take in your life. I know that it's a big one, but it's going to be the best step you ever take. What I'd love for you to do before you leave, and stick around for just one second. I got one more word for all you guys, but for you who took that step, I'd love for you to stop by at guest services, get a what next packet, fill out a yes Jesus card. It's something to remember this day that you write it down and say, today was a big day for me. It was a day I took a step. For the rest of you, I have another word for you maybe that said, you know what, I've, I've been with Jesus for a long time. You know, there is going to be a tendency for each of us even though we've accepted this love, to begin to lean back on laws again in our life. We can begin walking down our faith, and after a while we can begin feeling as though maybe God owes us the relationship he has with us because of what we've done or where we've gone or where we go on Sunday or or what we do or what we don't do. But we have to remember ourselves that law, man, law fails. Love fails is what prevails. And we need to walk in this day by day. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you're walking this out, you need to step back from laws because that is what so many of us do is people will take and they'll scream and they'll yell and they'll claw about laws. We need to realize that laws fall short, but love is what prevails. So here's the question I need you to answer and I need you to continue to ask yourself. This isn't mine. I'm not this genius. I stole this from another pastor, but I'm going to give it to you, okay? So just don't think Cameron's a genius. Someone else, okay? This is the question that needs to echo through your heart. When you come to a hard circumstance, when you come to dealing with someone, when you come to doing something, this question needs to come through your head. What does love require me to do? What does love require me to do? If you answer that question, you'll always answer it correctly. All right? God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for being part of At The Movies. Come back next week as we start How to Wreck Your Life in 21 Days. And if you're new here, come on out to Welcome to Acts. Thank you so much.